Join me if you would here in the book of Numbers. We're going to be referring a little bit to chapter 13, and most of our message will be out of chapter 14 of the book of Numbers. This gospel according to Numbers reminds me so much of an illustration that I was given some time ago about the entire world, everybody in it, all the activities of the world, about who's in charge of the world. God is the director. He is over all things. He has purposed all things. He is directing all things. He is in charge. Now we heard this morning in the Bible class that many, by nature, do not want to have this one rule over them. But whether we have him or not, he's still ruling over the world. Now there is a group of people that God had favor upon before the foundation of the world. Now he knew, being all-knowing and having all knowledge, that if he did not get involved in their redemption, they would never on their own ever come to Christ. So it wasn't because he was ornery or mean, it was because he loved people, his people so much that he purposed to save them before the foundation of the world. The Bible calls them his flock. The Bible calls him his sheep. The Bible calls him his elect. And so the elect are the actors. God has a purpose of finding every one of his lost sheep. And he does that, as we heard this morning in the Bible class, by the giving out of the seed. The gospel goes out. And God has purposed that the preaching of the gospel is going to land in prepared soil wherever his people are. And that prepared soil, when it comes to the gospel landing on it, is going to have fruit. And it is going to be known by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the faith is given because of the new birth. Now what about all the rest? The Bible calls them all the rest. The rest, all the rest, are props. They're the people who provide the food for us, the gasoline for us. They provide the heat for us. They're the people who fly the airplanes. By and large, we find very few people who know anything about the gospel that is put into positions. Now, if they do, hallelujah. But most of them are just servants of the church of the living God. The Old Testament called them hewers of wood and drawers of water. That's what they are. Now we're thankful for them, but God has purposed, as we read here in the book of Numbers in particular, He has in untold times, I cannot count the times, that He told His people that He would get them in the land, and give them the land, and that land would be theirs. Now, there were some that understood what he was talking about and said, he will do that. He will do that. And there were some that did not understand, and he, they said, he can't do that. He can't do that. Now, we have witness to that because in chapter 13 of the book of Numbers, we have there was appointed 12 men of honest report. Everybody thought they were all Jews. They were related. They were cousins. 
They had come out of Egypt. Everyone that was in this group had come out of Egypt. Everyone that had been down in Egypt had been in servitude. They were slaves. Everyone had witnessed the Passover. Everyone had witnessed that night when God commanded that they leave Egypt, that they get out of there, and they went with their swords, and they were prepared to leave. They came up to the Red Sea, and many of them said, God said we're going to get through here. And the rest of them said, I don't think he can. And great fear came upon them. Well, God spoke to Moses. Moses spoke to the Red Sea, and the Red Sea opened up. And the interesting thing about it is that not only did God open up the Red Sea, he allowed them to pass over on dry ground. Now, if you've ever been around lake shores or waterways, and it's been wet for a long time, it's muddy. And here we go, crossing over on dry shod, dry land, dry feet. They didn't get bogged down in the soil, the mud. And they passed over, and they went over. Every one of them went over. Not one of them was lost. They all entered into what we know as the Sinaitic Peninsula. They were there at the building of the tabernacle. They were there at the giving of the law. And then we find out that two years later, after, the building, after leaving Egypt, building the tabernacle, having God speak to them, having moving them by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, they are brought up to the very borders of the land that God had promised them to inherit. A very short amount of time between the Red Sea and entering into the promised land, even on foot. They get up there and God has, through Moses said, select one man out of every tribe to represent that tribe to go into this land and spy it out. Twelve men are chosen. They could look at each other and say, well, Cousin Caleb, you've been chosen. Cousin, you're going in. That's wonderful. We'll have a good time over there. We'll spy out the land. They spend 40 days spying out the land. And they come back and they are burying, burying grapes. One cluster of grapes on a pole between two men. Truly it was a land that floweth with milk and honey. They got back there safely. Not one report of an injury not one report of anybody getting hurt. Not one report that anybody did anything to them. They got back and they recount the land and how it is. And then we have a problem. Ten of those men come back and God calls it an evil report. They brought back an evil report. And two came back and they said... God is able. God can do this. He's promised this. We can go in. Well, chapter 13 of the book of Numbers shares with us that there was a problem. Now, chapter 14, if you look with me here, chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. Just, we just want to read a little bit of that. Chapter 14 and verse 1, the scripture says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. 
They have been discouraged by the evil report of these ten. Now, you know why those ten couldn't come back with a good report? Because they did not know God. When God saves his people, he gives to them the gift of belief. And he gives them the gift of belief to believe the word of God. He gives it to them. We don't acquire it on our own, but he gives us that. And when he gives us that gift of belief, we believe the word of God. Now, we've said many times we may not understand it, but we believe that it not only is the word of God, but we believe the word of God. God has spoken, and it is the truth what he has spoken, and his Holy Spirit will give us witness to that very fact, that the truth will make you free. The truth will quit you wandering about the word of God. The truth will make you free, and you will understand this is the word of God, and I will trust it. Well, we find as we travel down through here that the people were told, you must go back by the way of the Red Sea. Now, that's the word of God. You must go back. I am not going to let you enter into the land. This is God speaking to them. Because you brought back an evil report, I am not going to let you enter the land. In fact, you will travel till everyone that came out of Egypt that is above 20 years of age will die off in the wilderness. And those are the words of God. And you know what? They were carried out to the letter. Even though people didn't believe it, it was carried out to the letter. God's word is going to be carried out. He shall fulfill every jot and every tittle of the word. Everything will be fulfilled. And he has given to the, the promise to his people, to his church, to his sheep, to his elect, that this word is a precious word. It is a word that I have given you. I'll open your heart to understand it. I'll give a heart to you to believe it. And you will not falter on this point. Now, when we think we do, God's still got a hold of us. God has a hold of us. He has, he has it fixed so well that everyone that he gives the new birth to will and cannot fall. They cannot fall away and will in in the race. They will, without exception. Travel with me down through here into the book of Numbers, chapter 14 and verse 14. It tells us here in chapter 4, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 24. Down to verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because, now this is God's word, this is the only reason that Caleb came back with a good report. And Joshua is going to be said to have the same thing. The rest of the people didn't have this great gift of God. They did not have this great gift of the Spirit. God had not given, and you know, I've run into people who said there was no new birth in the Old Testament. There either was or were not, nobody was saved. They were not saved by sacrifices. They were saved by the grace of God. Those sacrifices were type, shadows, and pictures. It was a declaration of Christ and Him crucified in picture form. But it was not salvation in that he said, my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, him will I bring into the land whereunto where he went, and his seed shall possess it. Did you know how he was going to get into the land? He says, I will bring him. Him will I bring into the land. 
Caleb came back with a good report because he had another spirit in him. God had given him the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ. He had given him an understanding spirit, a spirit to believe the word. What God said, he will fulfill. And then, would you turn back with me, or excuse me, ahead to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 29. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, we have the reason that all the other people couldn't believe the word, couldn't believe God. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, and this is just natural man. This is people who are, many of them were religious. They, were the, they saw the same sacrifices. They saw everything that the rest of them did. There were a few that said, now that's speaking about my Savior, but that's not my salvation. And a whole host of them said, well, God said we're going to worship. We're going to have these lambs sacrificed and these oxen. That must be my, my salvation. That's religion to the core. I'll put my faith in anything else but God. But when God gives us clear faith, when he gives us faith in the new birth, we will see his types and shadows and pictures in the Old Testament. We will even go to the New Testament as we hope to observe in a few minutes the Lord's Supper. Nobody that has been given God-given faith will look at those elements and say, here's my salvation. We will say, here's a picture of my Savior his broken body, yes, it's a picture of it. His shed blood, yes, it's a picture of it. But there is no spiritual qualities about this that will lend us any better or any worse before God. Our whole hope and our whole faith is based upon the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness. God is a sovereign God and God rules this world with his sovereign rod. And he has said to us in the book of Romans, Hath not the potter power over the clay? You know, I never have turned a pot on a potter's wheel. I used to go down to the west wing of the high school and go in there and see all that mud all over and see those kids just going away and turning those things. Sometimes I wish I'd just taken off time and went into Chuck Cornegie's class and learned how to do it. I never have. But once you're sitting down, after you fulfill the requirements of the class there, Chuck Carnegie's class, after you get to use it, you get to turn out what you want. Now, if it's marred, I've seen kids take that stuff after they've got it all built up and it's not turning out like they want, you know what they do with it? Smoosh! Put it into a pile again and try to work out something good. God said, Hath not the potter power over the clay? Of the same lump. <laughs> Out of the same human pile. He has chosen to make some vessels of honor. And he has also chosen to make some vessels to dishonor. Now that's God. And if you don't like it, you have to argue with him about it. All right. Here in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 29, verse 1 through 4, these are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab beside the covenant which he made at Horeb. And Moses called upon all Israel and said unto them, Ye have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt unto Pharaoh and unto all his servants and unto all the land the great temptations which thine eyes have seen, the signs, and the great miracles. 
My goodness, we cannot count the things that the Lord did for the children of Israel. Over and over and over. I have a book in my library that's sitting right there by my table at home. It's called Haley's Bible Handbook. Now, he says a lot of stuff in there that is so worthless. But there was one page I was going through last night, and here we are. We're at the 14th chapter of the book of of, uh, Numbers, and it talks about the spies going in and the ten and the two. And then before you know it, we're meeting with Korah and his rebellion. And before you know it, we're meeting with serpents among the people. And before you know it, we're meeting with this rebellion and then this rebellion and you would think you would just honestly think that people would be smarter than that that they would finally learn that God has said something and he's going to bring it to pass but you know the natural man just cannot grasp that it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what God has to say they cannot get a hold of that In the book of John, it said, Jesus speaking to a whole group of of, uh, religious people, he said, you cannot hear my words. And I'm sure they were saying, well, of course I heard you. And that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, you cannot get the spiritual understanding. And notice verse 4 of this chapter, what God had to say, yet the Lord hath not given you a heart to perceive. Now, there it is, summed up in a nutshell. Now, our prayer is for our friends, our neighbors, and particularly our family, that God would give them a heart to perceive, that God would quicken them, that God would raise them from the spiritual dead, that God would bring them out of religion and let them see Christ. And if it doesn't happen, God says, hath not given you a heart to perceive, ears to, or eyes to see, and ears to hear unto this day. After seeing all of that, after hearing all of that, after having the reports come back and the punishment, drop, go back, if you would, to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 14 for just a moment. In Numbers chapter 14, We read in verse 37, this just reminded me so much of that last verse that was in our Bible class this morning. Bring those unprofitable, those who said they do not want me to rule over them. And here, Numbers chapter 14, verse 37. Now, from what we read here, the whole host of Israel is around this scene. The whole host of Israel is observing this. The whole host of Israel that are crying, they've already said, let's stone Moses and these other two, and let's go back to Egypt, and let's get back where we once were. Well, here in the book of Numbers, chapter 14, verse 37, even those men that did did bring up the evil report upon the land. Now, notice what happened to them. Died by the plague before the Lord. Now it doesn't tell us how he handled it. But it was serious for them. They died by the plague. Now this is something new. You remember stepping back just a little bit in history of Israel. There were two sons of the high priest. 
You would think they had got, their father would have taught them better than this. You know, we can teach and teach and teach and teach. Unless the Lord opened the heart and revealed Christ to them, they still cannot comprehend. You know what those guys did? They brought strange fire. Now, God is the fire. What he what is saying here, they brought a strange gospel. I appreciated that this morning. If you take a kernel of wheat and cut it in half, it will not grow. And most of the religious world are taking half kernels, quarter kernels, two or three quarter kernels, but it will not grow because it's been cut into. The gospel, it has to be the whole gospel, the word of God, the truth of God, that God before the foundation of the world made a covenant between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to save some people from their sins, and he's about carrying out that covenant. And that covenant is so valuable and so important that when God saves his people, they say, thank you for the covenant of grace, because I would have never turned in here to see you. The Nadab and Abihu thought they were doing okay. They come in with these bowls or plates or with strange fire. You know what what's the really is the strange thing is that God pr- provided all the good fire. He provided it for them. They didn't have to go making it. He provided them the fire, but they brought in strange fire. They brought in their own fire. And the scriptures tell us that instantly God consumed them and didn't burn up their apparel. You know, over in the New Testament, we think, well, that's all Old Testament. There was a couple that were married, Ananias No. Ananias and Sapphira. And you know they had seen those people who had trusted God saying, here's some people over here that are in need. We're going to help them out. And they, oh, Barnabas sold what he had and brought for the help of the church there. And they said, you know, people are getting a lot of kudos over that. People are getting, people are patting them on the back. And they said, we'd like some of that. We'd like that. So they sold a piece of property and they coveted it among themselves and said, you know, we'll give 50%. We'll tell everybody it was all it was, but we'll give 50%. Or 90%, I don't know, it doesn't tell us. But Peter was caused to understand that this lady that, or this man that brought in this money said, why have you covenant to lie to the Holy Spirit? Carried out, dead. Moments later, wife carried out, dead. No, God is a strict God. And he will not allow people, will not allow people, to go against his word. Now it may be at the final judgment that this will be carried out, but that's going to happen. We also know about a man by the name of Herod who gave not God the glory. We say, well, that only happens to people that are anti-religious, and he was. And he was consumed. Now, turn with me 
here in the book of Numbers, back to verse 25. Back to verse 25. This is the word of the Lord. You know, as I was looking at this, I do not find one word of complaint about when God told Moses and the children of Israel these words in verse 27, or excuse me, verse 25. He says, Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwelt in the valley. Tomorrow turn you and get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. That's the command. I do not hear one word of complaint out of Joshua or Caleb about these new instructions. Even though they are this close to entering into the promised land, they do not complain when God says, Folks, you're going to wander in the wilderness 38 more years. Do you know what? God had already told them, I'm going to give you the land. You're going into the land. You, however long it takes, you're still going to get there. You're not going to die off in the wilderness. You're going to get to the land. So they just walked around. The Bible tells us in the Psalms, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, I've had that so misrepresented at times. The meaning of that is, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's God's word. It doesn't matter what's happening to me. So? God's covenant will be carried out. So it doesn't matter what's happening to me. So? He has promised me good. So? He has promised me eternal life. So this little 38 year interval means nothing in God's time and he shall fulfill the promise that he has made to me is what Joshua and Caleb could say. The rest of the people said, well, they're going to be older. Hopefully a little wiser. The response of the people, verse 40 of this 14th chapter, the Lord's instructions were, go back by the way of the Red Sea. What's that mean? Turn around. <laughs> go back. You're going to spend 38 years. How much time short of that did they spend because of these words? None. God said before these words that they're going to bring up, you're going to spend 38 years, total of 40 years, wandering in the wilderness. That is my word upon it. What they had to say here did not cut down that one day because they're going to cry, I'm sorry. That is probably the most overused word in the English language. I don't know how many times I've heard said by people, well, I said I'm sorry. Well, my arm has been cut off. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, these folks, now that the judgment of God is going to fall, said I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Notice here with me in this verse 42. Uh, verse 40. And they rose up early in the morning... And got them up into the top of the mountain saying, Lo, we be here and will go up into the place which the Lord hath promised, for we have sinned. You know, we have all 
had that same issue in our own lives. And you know what it meant? I got caught. I'm sorry. Now, if I hadn't got caught, I wouldn't be sorry. But since I had got caught, I'm sorry, and I have sinned, and I'll make up for it, and I'll do better, and I'll turn over a new leaf. Well, the Lord has already said, you're not going into the land, and by the way, turn around and head out. Go not up, for the Lord is not with among you. Verse 42, go not up, for the Lord is not among you, that you may be not smitten before your enemies. The Lord's not among you. You're doing this on your own. How often is that our motive? Do something because we got caught, and then we find out the Lord's not in this. You know, the Lord of glory shows his people, I'm not in this. I am not in this. They seem to believe that they are sufficient to drive out the inhabitants and take possession. You know what? Just a short period before this, omnipotence was going to take them into the land. Omnipotence. All-powerful God had promised them this land. And they come back with an evil report. Two of them come back with a good report. They understand omnipotence. All-powerful God can do what he says he will do. And they, here they decide, we have sinned, we're sorry for what we did, we're ready to go in, and by themselves, without God, they think they can do what they wouldn't do when God said, I'm with you. Isn't that just normal, natural man talking about God? God is all-powerful to the church, and he's not much to most other people. He's a helper in time of trouble. He's a a lucky rabbit's foot. I remember a man that was in World War I. You know, there's none of them left. They're all gone. And those who fought in World War II are almost... This man, over 55 years ago, shared with me that he was in France during World War I. And you know, the more I read and study about that, the more perilous that was. And he was in a foxhole. That meant a bomb burst. He was hiding. And he told the Lord, if you ever get out of this, I'll never bother you again. And he told me, Norm, I've kept my promise. I don't think the Lord ever bothered him about grace. Well, they go up. No, I'm sorry. No tears are sufficient for our crimes against God. There is not enough personal punishment to merit God's presence. Many years ago, Nancy and I were down in Guadalajara, Mexico, and Rachel took us over to this building. And they said at certain times of the year, they spread out broken glass for a hundred yards. And people crawl on their knees down to the altar. And they think that by this, they are atoning for their sins. No personal punishment will ever take away one sin. The only thing that takes away sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. 
the only thing that will save us is Christ and him crucified. The only thing that will deliver us is not, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but God be merciful to me, the sinner, as that, that publican cried out. And you know what God said about that publican? He went down to his house justified. God had justified him. And at the cross, he made it so apparent. He laid down his life, a ransom for many. The Lord is not with you. What a perilous thought that God shared with almost all of Israel. The Lord is not with you. You know, they don't listen. And they go in. And they're defeated. Just as God said they would be. In the book of Galatians chapter 3 verse 1. Would you turn there with me? Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. Almost the same thing that we read about here in the book of Numbers. Galatians chapter 3. Oh foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Now notice this, the very next phrase, that ye should not obey the truth. Galatians chapter 3 verse 1, continuing on, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. And in that same book in chapter 5, in that same book in chapter 5, would you turn there with me? Galatians chapter 5 and verse 7. Ye did run well. You know, from the out appearance, as these people all gather up at the line, getting ready to go in, boy, look at those guys. Tall, dark, and handsome. You can't tell the difference among them. They're all ready to go in there into the promised land. We're going to sit here for a while. It turns out to be 40 days. And we cannot wait for them to come back and say how good the land is. We'll just wait for them. So they had their campfires. They ate their manna. They ate their, their uh, quail. And they waited 40 days. And behold, on that 40th day, someone observed these spies coming back through that pass, down in among them. And they're all saying, Yay! How glorious. They're back. What a, what, a, what a blessing from God. They're all back here now. And so, how'd it go? How'd it go? Oh man, that land is just wonderful. Well, how'd it go? Well, the more we think about it, we just can't make it. We just can't make it. What God had to say about it is not the truth. Those giants are just too much for us. We'll not make it. And two guys stood up and they said, What in the world are you doing? Why are you saying that? Why are you disheartening the people the way you are? Well, that's what we believe. And you know two believers said, That's not the truth. That's not the truth. The truth is, God said... He would deliver this land to us, and He will deliver it to us. Well, 38 years later, guess what? He did. He did. 
He kept his promise. He did. He took them in. Now for our last reading, would you turn with me to the book of Psalms. Psalms. Psalm 44. I have just fell in love with Psalm 44. I ran into this passage of Scripture and I said, My goodness, this sums it all up. This tells everything. Psalm 44, verse 3. Well, verse 3. For they got not the land in possession by their own sword. When God gave them that land, it wasn't their sword that got it for them. Outside of Jericho, he met with Joshua and he says, I've given you the city. Goes on to tell us here, neither did their arms save them. Not by their word and not by their power. But thy right hand, whose right hand? God's right hand. By thy right hand and thine arm and the light of thy countenance because thou hast favor on them. What was the whole reason that God gave them that land? Because I loved them with an everlasting love. I had them in mind before the foundation of the world. As it says there, I had favor on them. And then he said, this is what I'm going to use. It says there, by my right hand and my arm and the light of my countenance, you know, the light of the countenance. I knew when I came home from school whether mom had a good day or not, didn't you? Met you at the door, and if she was, oh, oh, we better go out and play. <laughs> or, guess what? I got donuts made for you. The light of the countenance. You know, the light of the countenance of God towards the church is, I'm smiling on you. You are my children. I purchased you with a price. You believe my word. I've given you that grace. You will carry through. You may wander a while at my appointment, but you will carry through. I'll bring you into the land. I'll bring you to the possession that I promised you. I'll bring you to Christ, and then I'll bring you to glory. That's God's promise to the church. 